Guideline Implementation Prevention of Venous Thromboembolism by Terry Link Abstract Venous thromboembolism, VTE, is a serious and costly complication of surgery. Many cases of healthcare-associated VTE could be prevented with the use of evidence-based interventions. Perioperative nurses are in a position to advocate for patients by assessing each patient's risk for VTE and implementing preventative measures, such as administering anticoagulants as ordered, and correctly applying graduating compression stockings and intermittent pneumonic compression devices. The updated AORN, Guideline for Prevention of Venous Thromboembolism, provides guidance to perioperative team members for developing and implementing a protocol for VTE prevention. This article focuses on key points of the guideline that address preoperative patient assessment for VTE and bleeding risk, safe use of pharmacologic and mechanical prophylaxis, patient education on prevention, and signs and symptoms of VTE, and a quality management program to evaluate VTE prophylaxis outcomes and protocol compliance. Perioperative nurses should review the complete guideline for additional information and for guidance when writing and updating policies and procedures. Healthcare-associated venous thromboembolism, VTE, has been identified as a major public health concern. Venous thromboembolism encompasses deep vein thrombosis, DVT, and pulmonary embolism, PE, that results from DVT. A DVT is a blood clot located in a large vein, such as in the leg or pelvis. These clots can detach from the site of formation and migrate in the bloodstream through the heart to the lungs, causing a blockage or PE in an artery that supplies blood to the lungs. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that in the United States alone, the incidence of VTE could total 900,000 cases annually. Estimates of deaths related to VTE range from 60,000 to 200,000 per year, with approximately 33% of those deaths occurring after a surgical procedure. Of patients who survive VTE, 30-50% to 50% develop post-thrombotic syndrome, a long-term complication that causes swelling, pain, discoloration, and even ulcers in the affected limb. The economic burden is also alarming. The healthcare cost for a surgical patient who experiences VTE is estimated to be 1.5 times greater than the cost for a patient who does not have this complication. It is estimated that VTE-related medical costs among first-year survivors is $12,000 to $15,000, and VTE events cost the U.S. healthcare system $7 to $10 billion each year. There are three pathogenic mechanisms that can precipitate a VTE, hypercoagulability, stasis or slow blood flow, and vascular injury to the blood vessel walls. Hospitalization and surgery are two important risk factors. Surgery can cause vascular injury, and prolonged bed rest can result in stasis. Although as many as 70% of healthcare-associated VTE cases could be prevented, fewer than half of hospitalized patients receive evidence-based preventative measures. This gap is concerning and presents a major opportunity for improvement in patient care. Methods used to prevent VTE include pharmacologic, 
and mechanical interventions. Pharmacologic prophylaxis includes administering unfractionated and low-molecular weight heparin and other anticoagulants to thin the blood. Physicians must consider each patient's risk for VTE and balance the risk for bleeding with the benefits of inhibiting blood clotting. Mechanical prophylaxis includes use of intermittent pneumatic compression devices, graduated compression stockings, foot and ankle exercises, and early ambulation. Mechanical interventions can reduce the risk of blood clot formation by increasing blood flow without increasing the risk for bleeding. Healthcare organizations should implement an evidence-based protocol for prevention of VTE that follows professional guidelines using the latest evidence-based protocols. Clinical decision support should be used to prompt healthcare providers to implement prophylaxis and provide standardized, consistent, and effective care for prevention of VTE. The AORN, Guideline for Prevention of Venous Thromboembolism, formerly the Guideline for Prevention of Deep Vein Thrombosis, was updated in November of 2017. AORN guideline documents provide guidance based on an evaluation of the strength and quality of the available evidence for a specific subject. The guidelines apply to inpatient and ambulatory settings and are adaptable to all areas where operative and other invasive procedures may be performed. Topics addressed in the VTE guideline include establishing a protocol for VTE prevention, preoperative patient assessment to determine VTE risk factors, mechanical and pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis, patient education, documentation of VTE prevention measures, education and competency verification activities for personnel, and implementing a quality management program to evaluate the outcomes of VTE prophylaxis and protocol compliance. This article elaborates on key takeaways from the guideline document. However, perioperative RNs should review the complete guideline for additional information and for guidance when writing and updating policies and procedures. Key takeaways from the AORN, Guideline for Prevention of Venous Thromboembolism, include the following. Patients should be assessed preoperatively for patient and procedure-related VTE risk factors. Mechanical VTE prophylaxis should be implemented in a safe and effective manner. Pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis should be implemented in a safe and effective manner. Instructions should be provided to the patient and the patient's designated caregiver regarding prevention of VTE and prescribed prophylactic measures. Personnel responsible for the healthcare organization's quality management program should evaluate the outcomes of VTE prophylaxis and protocol compliance. The following scenario highlights the key takeaways and other aspects of the AORN guideline. Each takeaway is discussed in more detail after the scenario. Scenario Mrs. A is a 65-year-old woman who has been diagnosed with uterine cancer and is scheduled for a laparoscopic-assisted vaginal hysterectomy. Nurse T, the RN circulator assigned to the procedure, reviews the surgeon's preference card and notes that he requires an intermittent pneumatic compression device for all of his patients unless contraindicated. Nurse T retrieves the device and places it on the OR bedstand at the foot of the bed, plugs it into the outlet on the tower, and turns it on to ensure it is functioning. 
She arranges the power cord in the tubing that connects each pneumatic compression sleeve so they do not lie on the floor and will not interfere with positioning. She also retrieves the stirrups for the procedure and secures one stirrup in the holder on the non-transfer side of the OR bed. After she has finished setting up the OR and assisted the scrub person in opening supplies and performing the initial surgical count, she proceeds to the preoperative area to interview and assess her patient. When Nurse T arrives in the preoperative area, Nurse L, the preoperative nurse, is measuring each of Mrs. A's legs to fit her for graduated compression stockings. Mrs. A's daughter is at the bedside and will be caring for Mrs. A when she is discharged the next day. After reviewing Mrs. A's electronic health record, completing the mandatory VTE risk assessment, and reviewing the subsequent electronic decision support, Nurse L reports to Nurse T that the patient has a moderate risk for VTE and the surgeon has ordered knee-length compression stockings and the intermittent pneumatic compression device. Nurse L explains the knee-length compression stockings have been ordered because of the extended surgical skin prep, which will include the upper thighs. Nurses T and L are on a hospital-wide interdisciplinary task force to monitor and improve VTE prophylaxis. They were instrumental in developing a decision support system for prevention of VTE in their facility's electronic health record. Both nurses have provided education and reported on quality improvement measures and outcomes to personnel on their individual units. And task force members will continue to perform surveillance to determine compliance, readmission rates, and post-hospital incidence of VTE. Since the initiation of the mandatory VTE risk assessment with electronic health record support and subsequent decision support for evidence-based treatment protocols, VTE rates have decreased. Nurse T reviews Mrs. A's electronic health record. The patient is 5 feet 4 inches tall and weighs 200 pounds. She has a history of spinal stenosis and her activity is limited. She also has a history of atrial fibrillation, which was diagnosed three years ago, and she has been taking warfarin since that time. Her international normalized ratio, INR, index of blood coagulability, is within the normal range. Her skin is warm, dry, and intact, with bruises noted on her abdomen, thighs, and upper arms. The patient states that she bruises easily. She also has a history of hypertension and is taking losartan with hypochlorothiazide to control her blood pressure. Her blood pressure is currently 140 over 90, with an irregular pulse of 90. She has seen a cardiologist and has been cleared for surgery. Her American Society of Anesthesiology Physical Status Classification is 3. Because Mrs. A has a history of atrial fibrillation and is taking an anticoagulant, she has a high risk for bleeding. With this in mind, her surgeon and cardiologist discontinued her warfarin in the previous week, and her husband has been administering anoxaparin injections daily. Mrs. A has several factors that put her at risk for VTE, including her age, high body mass index, BMI, hypertension, and atrial fibrillation. This procedure is expected to be longer than average because of the patient's BMI and the size of her uterus. She will also be in stirrups for the duration of the procedure, which involves hip and knee flexion that could impede blood flow. Mrs. A has difficulty walking because of her spinal stenosis, 
so early ambulation may be difficult. Nurse T makes a note to discuss Mrs. A's risk factors for VTE with the surgeon and the anesthesia professional during the preoperative briefing. She assists Nurse L in placing the graduated compression stockings, ensuring they are wrinkle-free and fit correctly according to the manufacturer's instructions for use. The anesthesia professional arrives, and Nurse T notifies him of Mrs. A's history and risk factors. They then transport the patient to the OR. After transferring Mrs. A to the OR bed with the surgeon's assistance, Nurse T ensures the graduated compression stockings are smooth and not rolled down, and that the heel gussets are in place and toe holes are positioned correctly before she and the surgeon place the intermittent pneumatic compression device sleeves. After placement, Nurse T turns on the device and ensures the settings are correct and the device is functioning. She observes that the sleeves are intermittently inflating and deflating on both legs. The timer is set and functioning. Nurse T also places a full-body forced-air warming blanket on the patient. Nurse T asks for a briefing before anesthesia induction and verifies with the surgeon and anesthesia professional that the patient's injection of anoxaparin was held this morning and her stockings and pneumatic compression devices are in place and functioning. Nurse T discusses Mrs. A's risk for VTE with the surgical team. Because of the patient's limited mobility, the surgeon will include orders to continue mechanical prophylaxis postoperatively in the hospital and at home. He will also order postoperative foot and ankle exercises because of her limited mobility. After the patient is anesthetized, the surgeon and Nurse T position the patient in the lithotomy position. Nurse T disconnects the tubing from the intermittent pneumatic compression device sleeves and arranges the tubing to prevent kinking and to allow easy access to the tubing during the surgical procedure. Nurse T then reconnects the tubing, resets the timer on the device, and makes sure the device and timer are functioning correctly. She then replaces the full-body forced-air warming blanket with an upper-body blanket to be used throughout the procedure. The procedure commences after the surgical skin prep and surgical drapes are applied. Thirty minutes into the procedure, an alarm sounds on the intermittent pneumatic compression device. Nurse T investigates and observes that the resident who is assisting the surgeon is leaning against the patient's left leg. Nurse T informs the surgical team she needs to check the device connections and finds that the tubing is kinked on the left side. She reminds the resident not to lean against the patient's leg and resets the device and ensures it is functioning correctly. The procedure lasts just over two hours. After the procedure, Nurse T disconnects the intermittent pneumatic compression device for transfer of Mrs. A to the OR cart. She reconnects the portable device for transport to the post-anesthesia care unit, PACU. When Nurse T arrives in the PACU, she follows the healthcare facility's VTE prevention protocol. As part of the handover of care between units, Nurse T removes the intermittent pneumatic compression device sleeves and the graduated compression stockings from both of the patient's legs, and she and the receiving PACU nurse assess the patient's legs per facility protocol to ensure that there has been no injury related to the mechanical prophylaxis. The PACU nurse checks for any swelling or redness of both legs and does not observe any. She documents this in the electronic health record and then reapplies the graduated compression stockings 
and reapplies, reconnects, and turns on the intermittent pneumatic compression device. After checking the timer on the intermittent pneumatic compression device, Nurse T documents that it has been in place for three hours. The PACU nurse recovers the patient who is then transferred to the surgical floor and spends one night in the hospital. The floor nurses check the intermittent pneumatic compression device and graduated compression stockings per facility protocol during the patient's stay. The surgeon has placed an order for physical therapy personnel to instruct Mrs. A and her daughter on performing foot and ankle exercises. He also has left instructions for continuing anoxaparin injections and restarting of warfarin after laboratory tests determine an acceptable INR. Mrs. A is to return to the clinic in one week. Her discharge nurse provides her with instructions on the signs and symptoms of DVT and PE and tells her to report to the emergency department if she experiences any of these. Both the patient and her daughter are able to articulate the post-operative instructions, which include demonstrating placement of graduated compression stockings, the pneumatic compression device, and foot and ankle exercises. The patient is also instructed on the importance of having both stockings and the intermittent pneumatic compression device in place for the recommended 18 hours out of every 24 to prevent VTE. Her daughter has already picked up the prescription for warfarin and scheduled a laboratory test for INR in three days. The surgical floor nurse provides written instructions and documents that both verbal and written instructions were provided, and the patient and her caregiver stated that they understood the directions. Mrs. A's primary care physician will be managing her warfarin, and both she and her daughter have his contact information. Key Takeaways Discussion The key takeaways from the AORN, Guideline for Prevention of Venous Thromboembolism, address preoperative patient assessment for VTE risk, safe use of pharmacologic and mechanical prophylaxis, patient education about VTE, and an ongoing quality management program. These takeaways do not cover the entire guideline. Rather, they help the listener focus on important or new information that should be implemented into perioperative practice. Preoperative Assessment Patients should be assessed preoperatively for VTE risk factors and bleeding risk. All perioperative patients, including children, may be at risk for VTE because of immobility, vessel injury, compression of tissue caused by retraction, and patient positioning requirements. Multiple factors put Mrs. A at risk for both VTE and bleeding. Mrs. A has limited mobility, and the lithotomy position she was placed in involves hip and knee flexion, which can impede blood flow. In addition, a vaginal hysterectomy requires working in a limited space between the patient's legs and may require the surgical team to come in contact with the patient's legs, which could also impede blood flow. Mrs. A's high BMI is a risk factor for VTE and may present challenges with positioning. Mrs. A is also hypertensive and has an irregular heartbeat because of atrial fibrillation, which requires long-term treatment with a blood thinner. In this scenario, treatment was planned according to Mrs. A's individual facility-mandated risk assessment. Both mechanical and pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis measures were implemented. Mechanical VTE Prophylaxis 
The perioperative RN should assess the patient for potential contraindications related to the use of graduated compression stockings and intermittent pneumatic compression devices, which include any skin condition the stockings could exacerbate, any vascular conditions, peripheral neuropathy, sensitivity to the stocking material, pulmonary edema or congestive heart failure, and any factor that prevents correct fitting of stockings. Mrs. A's procedure requires a surgical skin preparation that extends to the upper thighs. Thigh-length graduated compression stockings should not be rolled down, which could create a tourniquet effect, so the surgeon ordered knee-length graduated compression stockings to be applied in the preoperative area. Knee-length stockings were measured for and fitted in the preoperative area by both the RN circulator and the preoperative nurse. Each of the patient's legs should be measured individually because one leg could be larger than the other. If the stockings do not fit correctly, they can cause excessive compression or little to no compression, which would cause them to be ineffective. Stockings that are wrinkled and rolled down also can cause excessive compression. In addition, edema after procedure could result in compression stockings no longer fitting correctly. If this occurs, each leg should be remeasured and the stockings refitted. An intermittent pneumonic compression device should be functioning and graduated compression stockings should be applied before the administration of anesthesia because regional or general anesthesia dilates the calf veins as a result of the loss of leg muscle tone and could cause stasis. During application of the pneumatic compression device sleeve, the external tubing should be placed away from the patient's skin to prevent a pressure injury. After surgery, the nurse assessed the patient for adverse effects related to the use of mechanical VTE prophylaxis, which may include skin injury, numbness, tingling, discomfort, pain, proximal indention from knee-length graduated compression stockings, ischemia, leg edema, or redness. Use of intermittent pneumatic compression has been shown to increase a patient's risk for hypothermia, so interventions, such as the use of a forced air warming blanket, should be implemented to prevent unplanned hypothermia. The patient should ambulate as soon as possible after surgery to decrease venous stasis. Foot and ankle exercises also can decrease venous stasis through muscle contraction. Pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis. The perioperative RN should assess the patient for potential contraindications related to the use of pharmacologic VTE. Mrs. A has a history of atrial fibrillation. The pharmacologic treatment includes anticoagulants, which increase the risk of bleeding. Surgical protocol may include discontinuing medications such as warfarin and switching to low-dose heparin in the immediate perioperative period. Warfarin cannot be prescribed as a fixed dose, but is adjusted according to the INR blood test that measures the length of time it takes for clotting to begin, that is, prothrombin time. This test is standardized to account for different laboratory processes. The higher the INR, the greater the intensity of anticoagulation. It may take several days for the INR to become therapeutic, and during this time, a patient may be at risk for blood clots. In this scenario, Mrs. A's risk for VTE was balanced with her risk for bleeding from anticoagulants. An important component of managing pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis is patient compliance and understanding 
of how anticoagulant dosage is monitored with INR to achieve the desired anticoagulant effect. Education is a key component to pharmacologic prophylaxis. Patient Education Mrs. A and her caregiver were instructed in placement of both graduated compression stockings and the intermittent pneumatic compression device in addition to foot and ankle exercises before discharge from the hospital. Keeping the intermittent pneumatic compression device in place for 18 out of 24 hours provides the patient guidance on how to optimize mechanical prophylaxis and prevent venous stasis that could lead to VTE. Managing anticoagulants involves monitoring INR. It is important that the patient and his or her caregiver have a clear understanding of where they should go to obtain the laboratory tests, how frequently, how the results will be communicated to the provider, and how the provider will communicate any adjustments necessary in the dosage of the anticoagulant. The patient and caregiver should understand the adverse effects related to the use of pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis and whom to contact when these occur. Adverse effects include bleeding, hematoma formation, thrombocytopenia, osteoporosis and osteopenia, skin necrosis, cassophylaxis, atheroembolism, and injection site irritation, pain, bruising, bleeding, or itching. Patient education and understanding can prevent serious complications related to bleeding from anticoagulant use. Quality management. The perioperative nurses in this scenario were active in their healthcare organization's quality management program to evaluate the outcomes of VTE prophylaxis and protocol compliance. Quality improvement programs can assist in identifying problem areas to help personnel evaluate and improve the quality of patient care and to provide data on the effectiveness of the program. A quality assurance and performance improvement program for VTE prevention should include monitoring the rate of perioperative VTE, including DVT and PE, assessing compliance with the healthcare organization's VTE prevention protocol, addressing barriers to compliance and any complications that may occur from the VTE protocol, identifying common failure modes in VTE prevention processes, continuing to evaluate and refine the VTE protocol, and providing feedback to perioperative team members. Conclusion It is important for perioperative nurses to be involved in the hospital-wide VTE prevention plan because surgical patients' risk factors make these patients' primary targets for VTE as a surgical complication. Many evidence-based practice recommendations in the AORN, Guideline for Prevention of Venous Thromboembolism, are implemented during the perioperative period, and perioperative nurses are in a position to ensure that patients are evaluated for the risk of VTE and to initiate preventative measures on the patient's admission to the perioperative phases of care. The perioperative nurse is the patient's advocate and should take part in the discussion of the need for and selection of VTE prophylaxis, collaborating with other members of the interdisciplinary surgical team.